Harry, we are on the... Oh, sorry. <coughs> We're going to have a little interesting time with my voice here, I'm afraid. <coughs> Carry me as on eagle's wings That I may run and not grow weary Carry me as on eagle's wings That I may run and not grow weary Carry me as on eagle's wings That I may run and not grow weary Carry me as on eagle's wings, that I may run and not grow weary. Carry me as on eagle's wings, that I may run and not grow weary. Please take your seats. I made this little chant rewriting the last line of today's reading from Isaiah and setting it to an ancient church melody, one that actually goes back to the synagogue practice and, and worship about a century BCE. So very likely is one that Jesus growing up was singing in synagogue. It went something like this. Da-da, just like that. <clears throat> when I was barely 30, a country vicar in Idaho, at the end of a particularly rough or frustrating day, when I'd walk in our front door, Ellen, at that point, before she started nursing school, the stay-at-home mother of our daughter Maria, aged one and a half, would tell me to put on my running shoes and say, get out of here. Go for a run. You'll be fitter for human company if you go for a good log run. And when you come back, dinner will be ready. My young wife was experience, speaking experienced wisdom. Running seven or eight miles a day was more than exercise. It was my therapy and part of my spiritual discipline. I prayed or tried to pray as I ran. We'd come to Idaho as almost newlyweds. After my four years of college chaplaincy at the Episcopal Church at Yale, where I'd led a student congregation that loved to gather daily to chant psalms, pray, and share the Eucharist. My big hope and vision was to guide and inspire a regular Episcopal congregation to find that joy in shared practice. But when I arrived there, when we arrived there in July of 1976, The bishop informed me that the soon-to-be-authorized proposed Book of Common Prayer was pre-ordered for delivery to all our mission congregations. And when the new books arrived in August, he said, all vicars were to box up and hide the old 1928 prayer books, remove them from the pews and, and literally hide them, and put the new prayer books in the pew racks and get on with teaching the people how to pray in the new books new ways and new words. That it was the bishop's plan did not interest the people at St. David's at all. The elders of the community were convinced I was the one who had come to take away their prayer book. As some of them, anyway. In those first months, nonetheless, we made some discoveries. There were moments of grace and patches of glory. 
But no question, we moved very quickly through the honeymoon phase and into the stirrings of conflict and conflicts that would become big. More on that to come. Despite the conflict and argument and pain, by the end of my first year, we'd begun to attract a few younger families and some students from the local congregation. This is a congregation of people who were this person's age, just uh, putting that in that bit of context. We'd begun to attract younger families and some students from the local con college as regulars in our Sunday worship. And a handful of the good people who had called me to be their vicar wanted to inform me that they had literally laid the bricks, framed up the roof, and nailed the asphalt shingles on their new church 20 years ago. They said, we built this church with our own hands. And that handful of leaders wanted me to let the newcomers know that they, <clears throat> they who had built this place wanted them to hear. Would you please um, hold back? You're welcome, very, very welcome. But please keep quiet, steer clear of congregational decision-making, and quit being so pushy about volunteering to fix and start things until someone who's in charge of that asks you to do something and tells you what to do. <laughs> literally. I'm, I'm literally quoting what was said to me. <clears throat> Meanwhile, that little group's chats with the retired vicar who was in town and not coming to church, the back conversations they had there uh, after coffee hour, and the rumor that began uh, turned things adamantly fierce. One of the important old guard leaders who was part of that cadre began telling people that he was quite certain that I was an agent sent by a group that he knew of, radical black clergy from back east who said they'd be sending out new clergy to destroy the Episcopal Church. <laughs> Carry me as on eagle's wings, that I may run and not grow weary. I made the prayer chant at a workshop that I'd gotten the diocese to send me to, where we learned a practice of breath prayer and a program of sharing this kind of simple contemplative prayer in, in uh, education and continuing groups in our parishes back home. It's only today, 45 years later, prompted by today's readings from St. Paul in the Gospel of Mark to think about the voices of prophets and messengers, that I noticed that in making this thing, I transformed what Isaiah said about God. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up on wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, walk and not be faint. That I transformed this into a prayer petition an asking prayer sung from the heart and addressed directly to God. I think the worship light leader had modeled that shift, that we were instructed to do that, to find a piece of scripture that spoke to us deeply and then turn it into a prayer. But what's startling to me, rediscovering that, is that the workshop leader's counsel matches a personal discovery that I made in the depths of my own dark night of the soul and crisis of faith a couple of years ago in, the, in COVID tide, in that year and a half of our Eucharistic fast, where our churches were officially closed down 
and there was no singing together. And singing was in fact being forbidden here and there, even in outdoor gatherings. <clears throat> Where there was no offering other living, breathing people Christ's peace, no sharing communion. And when I was also experiencing long COVID brain fog and weirdly disordered thinking, my intuition and inner voice of seeing delight or satisfaction or appreciation was silenced or badly crippled. While my inner voice of skeptical, the critical thinker mercilessly attacked appreciation of almost anything, but especially thoughts, ideas, and declarations out loud of who God was, what God was doing, that God knew or loved us. In that dark time, turning to thoughts or speech or wonderings about God, I felt a wash in numbed agnosticism or bitter atheism. And in that dark night, the only shred of life, the only moment I was alive as a person of faith was when I tried to pray. When I put aside thoughts and reasoning and speech about God or Jesus or the Spirit and spoke to the love at the heart of our world, the love, as Dante says, that moves the stars in the heavens. My inner insistent atheist was rendered speechless at moments I addressed God or listened to God in prayer. God, for me, I was discovering, lived in relationship, not concept, as a person, not an idea. In the simplest, most straightforward reading of today's epistle and gospel, <clears throat> all about Paul and Jesus' prophetic calling to speak about God, so we listen here, Paul says, Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. He's got something to say. And Jesus, in the words of Mark, with his own urgency, Let's go on to the next town that I may proclaim the message there. For that's what I was sent to do. In that simplest and most straightforward reading, the makers of our lectionary seems to be putting these two side by side and inviting us to think something about prophecy or utterance or perhaps speech about God. I don't want to leave us there. I also note an eerie echo of something we heard last week in our reading from Deuteronomy, the first lesson last week. There the writer, speaking in the voice of Moses, and then with Moses' own voice, quoting both sides of Moses' conversation with God, offers an origin story a foundation story of how there came to be prophets in the people of Israel, authorized official prophets and what their work was. It goes something like this. Moses reminds the people that at Horeb in the wilderness, they had said, if I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore or ever again see this fire, I will die. And then, Moses in Deuteronomy reports, God replied to this complaint and said, They are right in what they have said, right to be afraid. So I will raise up for them from among the people a prophet like you, Moses. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet, and he shall speak to them everything that I command. What a relief. The people cry out, Dear blessed leader, spare us from having to hear the voice of the Lord ever again or seeing his fire, and we will die.
the leader and God discuss this request, God institutes prophets to protect people from the experience of God. Are Paul and Jesus prophets in that mode? Anointed voices speaking the gospel, the message, a truth about God, doctrine, something, and as um, intermediaries, adversaries, offering us that truth and connection in order to keep us safe from God. What actually is Paul's gospel? What is Jesus' message? Consider this story from Kilmer Myers, who was Bishop of California in the 1970s. Bishop Myers had held a public dialogue at Grace Cathedral with Tartong Tulku, Tibetan Buddhist Rinpoche and founder of the Nyingma Institute of Tibetan Buddhist Studies in Berkeley. At the end of their long, warm conversation, full of mutual understanding, appreciation, Tartong Tulku turned and said to Bishop Myers, Still, we must admit that at the end of the day, you as a Christian must see me as someone you need to convert. And Bishop Myers replied, No, my faith asks me to look into your eyes and see Christ. So Bishop Myers says, I'm not that kind of prophet or messenger. I'm not an evangelist. Like yours, he says, ours is a practice, a listening, a visioning, a practice and an experience of looking, seeing, and being present. Bishop Myers spoke much more from the image and calling of prophet that we see and hear in Isaiah in today's reading. And even more explicitly, like words from Joel that Luke, writing the book of Acts, has Peter offer on his sermon on the day of Pentecost. I'm quoting Acts, or Peter now. No, we are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In these last days it will be, God declares, that I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. That is the voice of God and the fire that will be there for us all to see. Paul's gospel and Jesus' message invites us to look, listen, and feel experiencing God's present to us, God present to us. The Deuteronomist might not like it much, but Isaiah is a prophet in that mode. Yes, <clears throat> literally, he speaks about God, but he's inviting us to listen, hear, and feel in our own experience everything as he cries out, the Lord is an everlasting God, does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. The experience, the appeal to experience, pardon me, is even clearer in our psalm today. How good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious. And our songs of praise are fitting. The Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel, heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden and casts the wicked to the ground. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Takes pleasure in those who fear him. 
in those who hope in his steadfast love. With the Lord taking pleasure in us, I relish a little spark of argument between Isaiah and the psalmist. Does God indeed take, quote, no pleasure in the speed of a runner? Or does God delay, delight in the strength of those faint, weary, and exhausted, both young and old, who's, who are renewed so that they shall run and not be weary, walk and not be faint? Eric Liddell, the evangelical Scottish missionary sprinter and middle distance runner who run the gold for the 400 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics, sides with Isaiah on this. Some of you may recognize I'm talking about Eric Liddell from the film Chariots of Fire. There's a moment in that film when Liddell explains to his sister why, before he can return to his work as a missionary in China, he must run the Olympic race for the gold. I wish I could do this in a good, thick Scottish accent. <clears throat> God made me fast, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. 1981, the year fi the film came out, St. Gregory of Nyssa, San Francisco, our tiny fledgling experimental mission, purchased a very large ad in the Yellow Pages with welcoming affirmation based on what Eric Liddell said in that movie and his insightful reflection on God's pleasure. Borrowing that, our own ad said, when we sing, we feel God's pleasure. We found that motto drew visitors, just a few, but steadily, Sunday by Sunday, young seekers came. They were impatient to taste and see the next new thing. Some too impatient to linger past the first time, but some stayed and continued practice of singing together and all the other practices that make a congregation a place to taste and see, to experience God among us, to open our eyes to God's presence and power here and through the whole of our lives. So, as the psalmist has it, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the piano, sax, bass, organ, drums, and with our voices. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, tambourine, I think, occasionally too, eh? Whatever comes next, I don't know. <clears throat> so what if our thanks is shaky? What if we can find, <clears throat> if all we can find to pray or sing is uncertainty? Lament. Crying out to God, I'm here, are you? Are you listening? Sometimes our only song is weeping, our only sound is gasping breath. Sometimes it seems that God is sleeping while our brief lives are bound in death. Sometimes we sense the Spirit coming, our voices swell, the Spirit sings, restored, our weary souls awaken to join God's song that never dies. When we sing, when we run, when we sit quietly, when we listen to one another, when we give voice to our deepest hope and prayer, our darkest fear, when we join our voices 
and listening deeply to the spirit that ties us together, our speaking and voices, our shared voice and shared experience echoes with God's own voice. We feel and trust God's love. Join our song and our whole breath to spirit to, and spirit to God's song that never dies. <laughs>